in reality, everything is neutral until I think it as bad or good. Thank you for joining us on Doorknob Comments, a podcast that we created to discuss all things involving mental health. We take the view that psychiatry is not just about the absence of illness, but rather the positive qualities, presence of health, and strong relationships, and all the wonderful things that make life worth living. I'm Dr. Farah White. And I'm Dr. Grant Brenner. We are very honored to have a dear friend, Mardashe Sidor. He is the founder and CEO of the Sweet Institute, which provides continuing education for clinicians and is a professor of psychiatry at Columbia University. Welcome. Thank you, Farah. Thank you for having me. Hi, Gwen. Great to be here. Hey, Mardashe. Good to see you. It's been a long time. Dr. Sidor has, has completed many fellowships and has many specializations, and so is very well qualified to head up the Sweet Institute mm-hmm. and has a lot to offer by way of continuing education. And today, we feel very fortunate to have an opportunity to speak with you about what you're working on currently. I have an immediate question. I don't know if you want to answer this, but... We're recording on Zoom, so we have a a visual that uh, listeners won't get to see. But might you tell us who is behind you on your bookshelf? Uh, Grant Grant, Grant obviously um, never stopped using his surgical skills. Um, (laughs) But I acted So I've been having some fun during the pandemic and social distancing, Um, just like um, both of you guys and everybody listening to us. We've been busy, but trying to make the most out of it. And um, as a result, I have been looking for ways to support a number of individuals who've been calling me, consulting with me, how to best go to this So in the beginning, if you guys remember right away, hey, social distancing, everybody was like, what's going on? So at the Sweet Institute, not only we held a number of webinars on anxiety, on on even depression and how to support individuals with pain and loss, because as you know, many individuals happen to um, lose their job and all Mm -hmm. that. But and and I got a lot of great questions, a lot of great inquiries. Many colleagues of, of ours really reached out to us. And in as as I continue to do that, I realized I too needed to take care of myself. Yeah. And part of taking care of myself is to form a team. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> I'll use a team. <laughs> I didn't realize you. I didn't realize you were answering my question. I thought it was a polite blow off. <laughs> but please go that. ahead. I'll not do that. Remember, as a professor, we're very circumstantial. <laughs> <laughs> but we get to the point eventually. If you guys also remember, during all that pandemic, um, George Floyd took place um, in Minnesota. And um, again, a number of individuals reached out to me. Mm-hmm. And I also then that that increased um, the need for me to say, wait a minute, let's actually take a look how to be the most helpful. Mm-hmm. And, and to as many of our colleagues and, and our population um, as possible. And so part of the team is um, I have here Mahatma Gandhi, who, who really, really, in fact, taught the person, true man, who happened to mentor Martin Luther King, who was mm-hmm. the next person in, in my team, mm-hmm. and that actually tried to look for another way. So I don't know if you guys remember many people after having been socially distanced and then just got to place. So mm-hmm. it makes you wonder how much is what? What mm-hmm. exactly is going on? There was a lot going on. There was a lot of 
ways of responding. And we need to find a middle way. And then the question is, what would Martin Luther King do? What would Mahatma Gandhi do? And, and so that those are the two people in, in my team. But then the third person in my team was also as relevant is Abraham Lincoln. 1864, exactly or more or less 100 years before Martin Luther King, who actually happened to play a role in all that was going mm-hmm. on. And that the third person, but then, you know, I'm, I'm a professor, I'm, I'm writing, I'm, 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 a, I'm a physician, I need to find a way. What about science? Mm-hmm. What, how can science inform us to really help others? And then who's the bed, a better person than the genius Einstein, who actually not only really um, help us debunk 200 years of, of mechanical physics, but also talked about a lot of, had a lot to say in civil rights, actually, mm-hmm. um, and all of those things. And so the Cosmic Man is part of my team also. Mm-hmm. And it actually really happened. I've always been in love with Einstein. I grew up really reading Einstein. And I remember one of the best quotes of his that helped me shed light is you cannot solve, we cannot solve our problems with the same type of thinking that created it, mm-hmm. right? So right. that really, really helped me, help many of our colleagues who actually have a scientific mind understand where we were coming from because mm-hmm. there, was some, there was so much emotion involved. Right. And it's hard to use the frontal cortex whenever in this case. You wanted to say something. Yeah. Um, if I well, I was going to ask you, you're, you're saying that that's an idea that Einstein had is that you can't solve a problem with the tools that you... So people often quote Einstein as saying the definition of crazy is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different outcome. Do you know if Einstein really said that? did not say that. So, so because as, as I said, I, I grew up reading Einstein and actually grew up mm. also reading um, Mahatma Gandhi for a variety of reasons. And, and my, my dad and, and, the, and then also my own curiosity. And, and so I also realized that they attributed a lot of quotes to Einstein that he did not say. And, and we understand why, because unfortunately in that world of illusion, it's not what is said. It's who said it. Mm-hmm. And if you really want to sound good, you say he said that, even when actually <laughs> he did not say it. And of course, of course, um, education, that's what we do at Street. And that's mm-hmm. what I do every day, even when meeting with patients, we educate. And this man once said, to change the world, change education. That's Nelson Mandela. Um, so he's, he, what's a better person to have in your team mm-hmm. Who not only have to have been spent 27 years um, in prison, um, I am I am honored to say that I've actually been I, I've been to his jail. I'm um, actually mm. uh, in 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 Robben Island. I visited where he spent those years. He still managed to keep a smile, right? And he practiced forgiveness, which is really honorable. And um, so that's my number five man in, 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 in the team. Very inspiring. And talking about inspiration, I um, believe that one of the best inspiring presidents we had was Jeff Kennedy. Um, he did allow us to really, to really get, get the inspiration to do things that really nobody could have ever, ever dreamed of. And he's part of my team. <laughs> I and see him. Of course, talking about inspiration. To inspire is what a leader can do most or best 
or who's a better epitome than Steve Jobs? You like him or not? Um, yes, he did not. He was not good at controlling his emotions, but the guy had a vision. <laughs> and um, so he's part of the team. I realized that all everybody I just said, they were all dead. So I needed someone who actually was alive. I think one of the missing piece was confidence. So next to Steve Jobs, actually have Barack Obama. I like his, gonna ask you. I like his really low of confidence. Mm-hmm. He's not arrogant, but really, don't worry, you say anything, he just use humor to really um, disarm you. And he doesn't go about, he doesn't really hold it against you. That's really worth emulating. Every day I sit, I sit here and I look at each one of those guys and say, okay, what are we doing today? What are, who are we being today? That's a good introduction for people to get a sense of how diverse and inclusive and focused on alleviating human suffering you are as a person and in your personal life and in your in your professional life as well. Yeah. And and I think we would love to hear a little bit about what you're working on now. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Gwen. Thank you, Farah. Uh, so in, in, indeed, just like it, it's been said, I don't know who said that, but life gives you a lemon and you make le- lemonade out of it. Um, at least my dad. I think it was Einstein. <laughs> just kidding. I, know. No, I, I, I like to say I have two variations on that just to just to digress. Mm-hmm. The first one is when life gives you lemons, grow lemon trees. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And then the second one, which makes even less sense, is when life gives you lemonade, make lemons. Interesting. Yeah. You, know, you might say when life gives you lemonade, enjoy it. Yeah, and people do that. I like to say that. And unfortunately, we do see people in our practice who happen to make lemons out of their lemonades. And that's mm-hmm. what we commonly call the self-sabotaging behavior and all that. Mm-hmm. The death drive that, that Sigmund Freud talked about. It's- I, I never even thought of it as reverse psychology, but that makes sense. Yeah, no, I like it. So yeah, I do believe that um, with, for, with the pandemic, um, many of us may have not only lived, but also illustrated, but also put to work this statement, this wisdom, so to speak. I'm trying to make lemon lemonade out of lemon. But to me, it was more by necessity because I had so many people reaching out to me. So I could not but see how much suffering there was. In addition to that, all of us are seeing what's going on on social media, what people are saying. I mean, it's palpable. And the question to me was, how can I serve? How can we be really do 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 something? Again, looking at what what questions would those guys in my team be asking? That really took me to a quest to help end suffering. Suffering has been around since the the dawn of time. It must be preposterous to believe that we can end suffering. However, just like we quoted Einstein, yes, this would be a logical thinking, except that this is the same type of thinking that we that started suffering, um, right? That we cannot use it to actually um, stop suffering. Therefore, to stop suffering, one of the, 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 the what we're developing right now, the Sit Institute, is looking at is there formula to problem solving? Stanford, MIT, and Harvard are using the same formula. There are steps to problem solving, and those steps get applied to any type of problem. So then we're really looking at suffering in that way. So what is suffering? Let's define suffering. But more importantly, 
what causes suffering? And one, one another quote of Einstein, yes, he said that, if I'm given five, um, one hour to solve a problem, I will spend 55 minutes to understand the problem and five minutes to solve it, which means for us, as part of ending suffering, we need to understand what's what's going on here. What's that suffering about? What's what what's causing it? And and then how to and then how to go around it. And that's exactly what we're currently working on. This is so what we're doing is um, for each step, we are gathering as much as many studies what different systems of thoughts are saying. So, for example, as you know, there are five major thought um, thought systems that explain everything about life, about us, about who we are and all that. Now, those five major systems of thoughts, none of them necessarily have solution, but this, but then there is an intersection among all five where the solution, the, the, the truth lies, which takes us to Mahatma Gandhi. I remember I was little when I read him because I had a lot of religious questions, really, and because I was told that I was saved, but then I said, wait a minute, if I'm saved because I believe to belong to that religion, what about if I were born in Asia where there are billions of people, none of them belong to the same religion, then that means I would not be going to heaven. <laughs> I was very little, like 12, 13 years old. And I remember having read autobiography of India, of, of Mahatma Gandhi. Mahatma Gandhi said, and I quote, all religions are different roads to God. And that just shifts things for me. Yeah. From Hindu and philosophy, today, right? Yes, that's In Hindu philosophy, they talk about darshanas, which are different paths to enlightenment. And there's there's a few of them. One of them is through logical discourse. One of them mm -hmm. is yoga is actually supposed to be through the body to okay. enlightenment. But his autobiography is amazing just for listeners. Okay. It's, it's also uh, subtitled My Experiments with the Truth. Today... I see myself applying that same thinking to those, those five major systems of thoughts that we have that really permeate every single aspect of our life, at least the, or the vast majority of, our, of us. So we have science, right? Science really is there trying to do its stuff. But at the same time, we have religion trying to really answer those, many of those same questions. Then we have spirituality uh, over, over there. And then, and then we have philosophy and science of physics. So we have metaphysics. Those are the five systems of thought. But then you say, but when you look, remember, like in medical school, one of the, the, the biggest statement pieces of wisdom I think I've ever had was when, my, when, the, when we were told, the, we remember this, the best truth of today are the best lies of tomorrow. And that's science. Isn't that what we have with from Newton and then to Einstein and from Einstein to Eisenberg and, and, and David Bohr? It's there. It's prank. So even in, even in physics going, okay, string theory, it's the same thing. It's the same right. thing. I, well, I remember in medical school, probably in like 1993 or 94, in our neuroscience class, we were told in no uncertain terms that there are no stem cells, right. no regenerative cells in the human brain. And yeah. that didn't seem true to me. Like, why 
why would there be stem cells in every tissue in the body but the brain? And then I think in 97, maybe, like the year I graduated med school, they published a large study of, of cadavers where people took some uh, radio radioactive tracer that would get integrated into their new DNA. And then they looked at their brains of those people who volunteered for that very important work on autopsy. And indeed, they found that there were stem cells in the brain, which really, you know, was a, a total change in the narrative. Absolutely. And that indeed has changed the narrative since then. And now we're talking about um, neurogenesis, neuroplasticity, mm-hmm. right? Now we're talking about epigenetics, about a totally different ball game. So for some people, depending on how you're looking at things, half 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 full is the glass, then you say, oh, this is so discouraging. Well, what, who can you believe? As opposed to for, so for some of us who are looking at this half full, say, wow, I mean, this is very promising. But you seem to be choosing... Um, very actively to see things a certain way. It's probably what you grew up with and also just the way that your brain works. You have a positive attitude. So the way that you view the world, I don't think would be really surprising to anyone who gets to know you. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Farah. And and, and so and the, I like your answer because this is part of what we're looking at, at suffering. The way we've been looking at suffering has been looking at the psychology, Mm-hmm. Right, so what we call the normal blueprint. We're all familiar with our normal blueprint, made of our genetics and then our environment and our experiences, and then mediated through um the process of epigenetics. And so from CBT to DBT to even logotherapy, and then all and everything in between has been trying to really really solve suffering, looking at the psychology, which is brilliant, right? But then that's the re- that's one of one more reason why we know that at the same time it's a hundred percent of people who come to us for CBT who happen to live. Hey, thank you, Doc. I am good now, right? Right. Does it work that way? Does it mean excuse me, CBT is not effective? Oh, CBT is damn effective. We know that, but unfortunately, it's really there must be some there must be a reason why. It's actually two thirds, and not in not even eighty percent, mm-hmm. right? It doesn't even go, go to the Pareto rule of 20, 80, 20. Right. The most effective therapies are like the yeah. effect size is still limited. Nothing exactly. works mm-hmm. for everybody. Exactly. Then it tells us, and then what is the answer? But thankfully, we're not just our psychology. That's the reason why we ought to look at those five systems of thoughts. So is there such thing, is there something behind our psychology? So the same thing, we used to believe that um, no stem cells in, in, in the brain. We also used to believe that the brain was the ultimate patient. But now we know that's not true. So we know that there is behind our, our normal blueprint, there is a natural blueprint. And, and that natural blueprint that we have, for example, really um, um, fundamental, just that like we have the fundamentals of, of the laws of physics, of electromagnetism, of, of gravity. That does not change, right? I was going to say, I think that suffering is one of them. I mean, in every language, it's called like la condition humaine. And then we say to suffer is to be human. So I do think that that is something that's in some ways built in. Yes. And as part of our, from a psychological standpoint, yes. Suffering is really part of our not normal blueprint. So where okay. the psychology, the brain, the genetics, that's why, for example, we talk about transgenerational trauma. 
now, right? Mm -hmm. Talk about all this. However, we're not just our psychology. We are, we are not just our, there's what's behind the psychology, what's okay. behind, that's where, that's where we need to look to end suffering. Okay. You know, because suffering indeed, you're right, it's human to suffer, right? Because that's inside our psychology. And unfortunately, then it requires something else. That word that Brett talked about, that outlook, outlook means where are you looking from, right? <laughs> so where we're looking from makes a big difference. And then if we're looking from our psychology, then suffering is there. If we're looking from behind our psychology, is there. So this is really what part of what we are working on. Right. Uh, are, are you are you suggesting that suffering may not be a universal truth? Because many philosophical systems, you know, they take that as an axiom, you know, as a given, you know, life involves suffering. Uh, are we creating the problem by taking it as a given or, you know, does it exist within our social systems and our psychology and there's no way to completely deny the reality of suffering? It's a great question. And then the answer lies in depending on which um, system of thinking we're looking at, right? Depends how you look at it. Exactly. So, for example, in now in terms of truth, is that which has no exception, right? Truth is that which is absolute. I may be looking at the same thing, and um, and then I suffer from it, and Farah does not. So that tells you something. So that that's correct. In this case, anything come to mind? Uh, let's just say um, we look we're following the, the 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 election right now, right? I know it's just it's just a matter of illusion going on here, right? So uh, it's, it's just history um, really um, um, repeating of itself, right? At some, several levels. Mm -hmm. and, and, and so what happened is that, again, what the suffering means, etymologically, suffering is to bear from below. It's where you are looking from. The moment you really just change your position, suffering dissipates. So can I can I ask you something about where we started? Many of the people you described as your heroes, right, who are also heroes to me in many ways, the majority of them were killed by other human beings. Mm -hmm. Lincoln, Kennedy, Gandhi, Martin Luther King, Christ, Steve Jobs sort of neglected his own health. You know, some people feel in, in his grandiosity, perhaps. And Steve Jobs, by the way, had an interesting tie in with uh, with Indian culture, with South okay. Asian culture, because I think he studied with the same guru that the Beatles did. Mm -hmm. And I remember from his biography, he read a book called Autobiography of a Yogi every year, which really talked about how to harness the power of the mind. I'm sure you're familiar with Paramahamsa Yogananda's work, but I'm I'm wondering how you think about suffering when it comes to uh, these sorts of things, when the best of us seem to be, you know, ended by the, wor the worst that humans have to offer. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a really good question. So let's just take one step back. So there is a very nice, nice study that shows that the MIT grads, physics grads from MIT, did poorly compared to children in many physics questions. I mean, that's really that's that's really out out there. That's number one. Number two, they show that children do better 
in questions related to electromagnetism before they went to school than after. We were born with a natural blueprint and then we got socialized. So something like beginner's mind. Exactly. Indoctrinated. And then that's what leads to the normal blueprint. The normal blueprint is our genetics, yes. But remember, because of epigenetics, those genes are not necessarily expressed until they, they, they are in the environment where they need to be expressed through the process of epigenetics. In other words, now because of how we were raised, so for example, we know that children, uh, all of you guys know, um, babble, 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 mm-hmm. they actually <laughs> really have every single sound in every language mm-hmm. at that stage right. until we start speaking English to them. Yeah. Right. And interestingly, they can distinguish between mm-hmm. sounds that we can't once yeah. we're in adulthood. Yes. It's right? also why it's so hard to understand babies because they're speaking every language <laughs> exactly. at the same time. Exactly. Now the question is, what's that about? Did we lose that? Where is that? Mm-hmm. Well, here's what happens. As we continue in the process of socialization programming, then that's what takes over. But that which we were born with, which is our natural blueprint, is there. And both Sigmund Freud and his teacher, Joseph Boer, had talked about that. That's our pre-conscious mind. That's where reality mm-hmm. testing is. We're not using it. We are using our unconscious uh, mind, which has been made by looking at consciously what I'm hearing from my dad. Obviously, as you know, then I put it there, I put it there. Then my unconscious mind makes it automatic for me. Then I have a way of seeing the world of my belief system based on this environment. That's creating problems. That's creating problems. That's creating problems. And then we see the whole world, everyone, and ourselves through this lens. Reality, therefore, is not being used as the basis for our thinking. But reality is there in our pre-conscious mind. And then it's just a matter of shift. So everything you just said, Grant, which is a great question, is explained by this type of thinking. You call it illusion-based thinking, by, by the way, for, for obvious reason, because it's based on our past. On brain holds on to it, and then that's where whenever we're thinking, we're thinking about our past. Right. This is sort of reminds me of uh, enlightenment and the story of the Buddha of being assaulted by illusion, mm-hmm. by Maya, mm-hmm. you know, and finding the truth um, and getting back to this sort of uh, base state, mm-hmm. free from all of, all of the conditioning. Now, when you talked about the babies, and but I thought of the story of the Tower of Babel, I wonder if the word baby comes from the word babble now. But the idea in the, in the if I understand the story, was <clears throat> that people were trying to reach heaven and, and that that was considered to be narcissistic or too prideful. And so God caused everyone to speak different tongues. They couldn't, um, you know, collaborate anymore mm-hmm. to keep building this tower. And I'm wondering uh, if you have any thoughts about that. I'm, I'm curious. You know, it's safer if people keep to themselves, stay in the same caves. And I think that's at the root of a lot of the problems that we see today. There's so much anxiety about the other, starting in, in these biblical stories. So Divide and conquer, isn't it? Yeah. Well, there's a question maybe in there about hubris and suffering. And how do we strive and sort of tolerate success and failure? But sometimes success can be harder for people than failure. 
uh, strangely, and I wonder if you have any thoughts about that. So, so here the, is the thing here. The first thing is there is one way to end suffering, only one way. It's to shift from an illusion-based thinking to a reality-based thinking. So that's that's number one. That's the only way. There's no other way. Why? Because then when I wake up, it doesn't matter what I have. The, the moment I wake up and then uh, and then my water is not hot, then I have a, a different relationship with, with my water. I forget that I was that whoever, then I then I feel it, right? So, but if I'm if I'm basing my life on a reality-based thinking, it's different. We all are familiar with this famous group and um, book, Men's Search for Meaning, written by a Jewish um, psychiatrist and neurologist um, whose, whose name is Viktor Frankl. He, Viktor Frankl was actually in the Nazi concentration camp, literally, along with his family members and colleagues. He saw them being really tortured and suffering. Yet he described in his book all the different strategies he used, which actually are part of his logotherapy, mm-hmm. the, uh, right, the third, third, third Venice wave of psychotherapy, in order to actually not allow himself to suffer. That was an example of a reality-based thinking. What does that mean? Reality-based thinking allows you to see illusion for what it is and regardless of what's going on. But that's the only way. You're talking about, sorry, something like radical acceptance. It's more than radical acceptance, right? Because we do use radical acceptance in DBT, which is great. Um, DBT borrows that from Buddhism, right? And along with, psych- along with CBT, which is good. But it's beyond that. You were going to say something, Farah. Oh, I was just going to say that I think the you know logotherapy is based on the fact that our main goal is to find a, a purpose in uh-huh. life, right? Uh-huh. And you're correct. And now a lot of people go about doing this differently. This again, we can be doing it based on a, on an illusion-based thinking, or we can do it through a reality-based thinking. The latter was used by Viktor Frankl. Reality-based thinking. So what does reality-based thinking mean? Again, pre- pre-conscious mind. Go back to pre-conscious mind. As a child, I am seeing this electric circuit. I just put my hand. That's sad. I so the, going back to the Bible as great 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 side of the Bible in the garden, that tree of good or evil. That's that. People read it so literally. That's the electrical socket. <laughs> That's the forbidden fruit. <laughs> which means I don't really know what I I don't know. Just like Shakespeare said, nothing is good or bad, but thinking makes it so. So as a, in reality, everything is neutral until I think it as bad or good. That's reality-based thinking. So, but in the, in illusion-based thinking, the way we've been programmed, we have a preconceived notion of what's good, what's bad. Sure. Well, how do you think about ethics and morality? When we get to reality-based thinking, we will not need ethics or morality because in reality-based thinking is harmony. What does that mean, harmony? Because in reality-based thinking, you know who you are. Obvious. So being no, knowing who you are means you actually are just like, let's go back to Einstein. Here's what Einstein. Einstein actually quoted, was uh, in his letter to a rabbi who actually went to the war 
and helped came back with a number of children. Actually, he lived here in New York, the rabbi. He went to the wall, came back with a number of children who, who were orphaned and helped them. However, his, the rabbi's own child died young and he could not get over it. Something that many people may not know about Einstein unless they actually study him is that, again, he was not just a scientist. He actually really received a number of, of letters from all kinds of people asking him for advice. And he advised the rabbi. Advice was always short and to the point. If you if you miss the point, then um, you have to write again, right? <laughs> he was a true scientist. So he said, and I quote, a human being is a part of the whole, but he experiences himself, he thinks, he feels as if he were different. He was, he was separate. Separate. From, separate from the rest of the whole. Yeah. And he added a kind of an optical delusion. That's sad. Mm -hmm. That's that's not reality-based thinking. That's why he said that's not a delusion, right? So so in reality-based thinking, you see yourself. I am. I mean, you see yourself as Farah and Brent, not different from me. Which means I the the idea of projection is well. When I think Farah is mad at me, maybe then I'm actually just projecting. And that idea of projection is not as superficial as many people understand. It's deeper than that. And, and, and that's where that comes from. It's because we actually won, but we don't, but with that, that optical delusion that Einstein mentioned makes us see that totally different. That sort of clarity. And how does that make it not necessary to have ethics or morality? Well, if I'm one, if I'm you, Grant, I hope I'm not. So, for example, I have my body here. I have my liver here, my pancreas. I hope I'm not going to say, hey, head, you are here. I'm going to start hitting you here. And I'm so not going to pe People will naturally treat each other well if we see one another as Absolutely. parts of ourselves. And Absolutely. Are you familiar with uh, Petros Levinas, the yeah, philosopher I, Levinas? I am familiar with him. He, he, he has a sort of a philosophy like this, is that your first ethic is to the other. It makes it doesn't make a lot of sense because again, again. Well, well, but, but I, I would actually. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I, I, I think it works if ev if everyone pretty much does that. It's like a cooperation model. Uh, you know, like the prisoner's dilemma. You know, if everyone cooperates, then everyone does the best that they can. But people sometimes will uh, quote unquote defect and betray each other. So here's our problem here. Our problem here. We've been overall in the world. We've been we've been trying to solve problem by patching things up without the foundation. You cannot have this as long as we continue to operate the world from an illusion-based thinking. But the moment we have that shift, a reality-based thinking, then that's set. There is no, there's not even not even any fear of somebody defecting, right? Because that's reality-based thinking. So that's that's the thing. That's the foundation. That's why this is the only way out of suffering, really. And we can do it. Did you ever read Einstein's letters with Freud about whether humanity will ever cure war? I haven't read that one. I, th I think you would dig it. But I think Einstein wrote to Freud and asked about it. And then they had a number of famous mm -hmm. letters back and forth. Yeah, I mean, thank you so much. I mean, this was really, really enlightening. And I'm so excited for, you know, your work to come out on this. Um, where can people find you? Where can they find themselves by finding you? <laughs> 
there, then there, they can, the best place is really to find themselves. So go inside. www.me.me. The inside out world, but, but no, but, no, where can we find you? But in the meantime, in the meantime, <laughs> while looking for them, while looking for themselves, they can look for me. Um, <laughs> go sweetinstitute.com. That's sweet like candy. S-W-E-E-T institute.com and I'm um, really looking forward. We're working very hard. Um, we're making sure that this is com- as complete as possible, so it's going to take some time, but this is a, a project we are really very, very enthusiastic about because what's a better cause like MLK says, Martin Luther King yeah. says, you know, um, um, a man is not worth living until you have something to die for, and I think mm-hmm. that's worth cause dying for because it will help humanity uh, also the, you know, um, all of us <laughs> look forward to it. If it's worth dying for, it is surely worth living for as well. Indeed. Yeah. Indeed. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. Thank you, Farah. Be good well. to see you guys. Yeah, good to see you too. I hope it won't be as long next time. So we'll look forward to the next time. See you right, soon. Thanks. thanks for listening, everyone. Take good care. One disclaimer, this podcast is for general informational purposes only and does not constitute the practice of psychiatry or any type of medicine. It's not a substitute for professional and individual treatment services, and no doctor-patient relationship is formed. If you feel that you may be in crisis, please don't delay in securing mental health treatment.